you all. This is Mariah back again with the planets are my gods. And I want to continue this thread that we've been doing about kind of a background introduction to evolutionary astrology. Evolutionary astrology is the core paradigm of astrology that me and Arakai are really steeped in. And it is endlessly poetic to me to interpret the astronomy that we know according to this particular understanding. So with the last one of these podcasts that I did, it was really trying to focus in and look at the function of Pluto and the function of desire as this motor or this driving force uh, that animates life. And that is one of the core insights of evolutionary astrology is this role that Pluto plays collectively and personally in terms of the type of soul growth that's happening and the type of scenarios that we're creating and living out. And the other core foundational piece of evolutionary astrology is about the nodes. And so the, these nodes of the moon have their roots in Vedic astrology. There's also names for these in Hebrew, in Arabic, many different types of civilizations who were looking at the stars noticed and marked this phenomenon, which is wild because the nodes of the moon are not stars. They're not lights in the sky. They're astronomical points. And they're created, if you imagine the earth as this beautiful blue-green jewel um, in the center, and then you imagine the ecliptic of the sun, so the sun's path as kind of like a golden ring um, around the earth, and then you imagine the moon's path, which is maybe like a silver ring that's at a slightly different angle. You can see there's this place where if you have one gold ring and then inside of it one silver ring and they're not perfectly aligned, they're going to be these two different places where those rings cross. And those rings, from the perspective of Earth, looking out, are the nodes of the moon. So these nodes of the moon, they are calculated points. And in Vedic astrology, they were called, and still are, Ketu and Rahu, the head and the tail of the dragon. And it was thought that these two points are the map of the karma. So that the south node of the moon represents that karmic pattern, right? Whatever the karmic pattern is, it's also going to show up in the early childhood conditioning. This is the personality structures that you have created in past lives. These are the identity structures. This is like the seed pattern of the fractal that's in all of us. And then the north node of the moon represented the Dharma point. And it's telling to me that it is exactly 180 degrees all the way across to the other end of the circle, right? This idea is that you've become so entrenched in certain identifications, so entrenched in certain habits of cause and effect. It's almost like you become addicted to them and you become blind to your participation and your responsibility for them. So much so that actually what is magnetically, gravitationally pulling you forward is its precise opposite. The antidote for the karmic pit that you find yourself in is astrologically and archetypally the opposite. And obviously it's not like a storybook where you're going from your South node and everything in your South node is bad. And you're going to your North node and everything in your North node is good one, because that would be, I think, impossible. 
but two, because ultimately it's just kind of that guiding star or that magnetic north that's helping to kind of wedge something underneath this really ingrained behavior and create a little bit of space and distance to allow you to get out of these deeply stuck tracks and into different ways of being and thinking and relating that will ultimately result in a kind of integration of your North and South node. And there's this very idealistic thing that a lot of evolutionary astrologers will say is that you're trying to find the gifts of the South node for the South to be purified to the point where you can find your gifts and then to be able to integrate the gifts of the North node. So, um, who knows how it really works, but maybe that's a useful metaphor, but let's think about the moon for a second, right? The moon and the moon has the sort of stereotypical and somewhat superficial understanding in Western culture about being nurturing and the feminine and the wildness and the emotion. And even in astrology, a lot of people will say like, oh, it's the emotional body. It's the the shadow of ourself. It's our mother. It's the mysterious nature of our being and of reality. And there might be one way that this is true, right? I do think that's true. But to me, that's only one face of the moon. And the other face of the moon that I think is more understood in different kinds of astrology, more understood if you look at the entire pantheon of different archetypes that people have used to paint the moon, right? Sometimes the moon is represented by female archetypes, sometimes by masculine. Sometimes it's very emotional. Sometimes it's very calculating. And what we do know in astrology is that the moon is a harmonic resonance of Saturn. Saturn goes, does a full cycle in approximately 29.5 years. The moon does a cycle in 29.5 days. Saturn is the Lord of time and the moon is the Lord of karma. And I think just like we can have that sense of Saturn, that there's something rhythmic, there's something unstoppable. There's something, um, pulsing and consistent about it, right? It's that cellular regeneration that happens every seven years. It's growing your teeth at age seven and losing teeth and those big sort of developmental cycles of life, that kind of unstoppable March of time that we associate with Saturn has a similar resonance in the moon. The moon is also meter is also rhythm, is also this cyclical process that we can watch. It's the element of ritual that is mystery and is wildness and the element of ritual that is completely structured. And to me, both of those sides are encapsulated in our experience of our karmic patterning. In that the moon itself defies polarity it has its light side that we see. It has a side that's constantly dark. It has its part that's mysterious. It has its part that is actually incredibly predictable. And the, to me, the part of it that gets sort of wrapped in with, oh, it's the emotional body is one way in which we might try, be trying to shorthand the fact that it is unconscious. 
There's something about these waves, about these tides, about rhythms and rituals and cycles that we're all a part of, about the way our blood is moving through our body, the way our hormones are operating, what makes us cry, that is mysterious to us, yes, is predictable to us in ways that we are ever more able to measure, but is regardless happening unconsciously. And this is where I can see that bridge because what is also unconscious are these habits, are these karmic patterns, right? Like the, these ways of being are so entrenched in us, right? These sanskaras, sankaras, it's like there's a groove in a record that the needle has been going through this groove over and over and over again, that that groove is so deep, that that record is now sunk so deep down that it is just the full way that we understand ourselves and the world. I feel like there's something where you can tell that you're in a karmic pattern of something. You're in a conditioned way of being because you can't even think outside it. You can't even see outside it. It's often so hard to even be aware of what's operating or that it's operating at all because we're completely in its spell and completely identified with that. That's who we are. That's the way that the world is. And so there's this way in which this nodal access obviously gets interpreted as this path of self-actualization through the Western world understanding. And it's useful to think about it that way. I think about it that way all the time. But I think there's this other way in which obviously we have no idea what's happening, right? And we're using astrology as a map for self-understanding. And that using that self-understanding, it's almost like we can help help us wake up, wake up to where we are identified, to what's on the other side of the edge of our horizon, of what we could even know, of how we could even be, and of what reality itself could even be. So there's this level of it that's going to be conscious that I believe that we should attempt to engage in and use this map that astrology provides for us to be able to engage in more consciously in order to accelerate, right? In order to be able to accelerate our waking up out of this karma in order to be able to, you know, like good alchemists, right? They're not trying to change nature. They're trying to accelerate the processes of nature. The alchemists truly believe that given enough time and the right conditions, lead would become gold. And I think that's what we're trying to do with our awareness, with our connection to the universe, with our astrological experience is to be able to alchemize ourself out of these old habits and into this fuller actualization, this fuller allowing of how energy wants to move through us to be good alchemical vessels for the process of the soul. And at the same time, there's this level of it that is always going to be mysterious. That to me is a matter of timing and grace. And there's so much that we can do and will do. And, you know, a lot of people want to do in order to be able to accelerate nature. And then I think the universe has its own time and its own transits and that we can also be in that, you know, yin place 
of opening to receive the grace of opening to listening to what the soul is really asking for and so many different ways to engage of this process. So, um, getting back to it, right. Just in terms of what we can sort of psychologically and with our conscious attention track, right. If you look at your North and your South node, the South node is that indicator of ways in which you have attempted to actualize the desires represented by the signature of your Pluto through creating different strategies and identity structures. And then that North node is showing this other way of doing things, right? That is actually um, in the growth path of, you know, the terrain of the desires. It's not like a one for one, like if you do your North node, then your desires will be met, right? We're in the furnace of this complicated territory. And, um, it's more just that, that North node is giving you this deep, deep key, this deep, deep clue about how to orient in life because, your south node, and you can also look to the ruler of your south node, your south node will fail. All of your strategies to get what you want to move through life, if you are harnessing the ways of doing it, the ways of going about it, the ways of being of your south node will fail and they will result in tremendous suffering the harder you cling to those way of the South nodes, what I have found is the more they will have to be purified. The less you engage this process, the more the process will happen to you. And it will seem confusing and devastating because your South node is what you know. And so it is by design that these things are, that going about things in a South nodey kind of way will fail. It is by design that you think you're going to be doing everything right, that you're doing everything that makes sense to you, that feels safe and is your whole way of understanding how to do things. And it's just not working and it's just creating more and more suffering. And the way that I like to imagine that suffering, it is like the tapas, like the heat, like the alchemical fire that's pushing you to even consider doing something different in the first place. And this is not linear, right? Because everything that is instinctual, everything that is like your first impulse, everything that is just the natural way that you would do something is most likely in the territory of that South node. And it can lead to this super victim consciousness feeling where it's like, but I was being so nice or I was trying my best or I tried to, you know, think it all the way through or whatever. And the benefit of this is just full and total responsibility to get so curious about like, huh, where was I tied into this? Where was I acting unconsciously? Where was I operating under my belief systems of, oh, this is how it is and what this is how it'll be. What are my belief systems to begin with? So there's this other side of it that's kind of wild because people will often consciously identify with either their North or the South node. I'm going to use an example because it's just getting too complicated. So for example, for me, I have my South node in Libra in the fourth house. So everything that I think about how to do things has this very Libran quality to it, 
right? If I am nice, if I am polite, if I sort of read the room and orient accordingly, if I partner with people and I'm good to them, if I'm able to be a good companion and harmonize with everyone around me, and then in that fourth house way, provide a tremendous amount of safety and nurturing and track their feelings and, um, oh, you know, I think fourth house also has that kind of like feminine quality to it. It has a very, uh, like domestic and family side to it and also immaturity, right? Cancer, the fourth house to the 10th house axis is often the process of going from being in a domestic scene and kind of being baby or mommy baby to a public scene of being your own authority in the 10th house and really coming forward into the world and having enough of your own fortitude to really be able to withstand the different blows that the world gives anyone in a position of leadership, right? People attack leadership and that's why it might feel safer to stay at home and stay with people who love me and who care for me and who I've done a full x-ray scan about and I know how to love and care for them. And there's like also, you know, genuine connection there and warmth and love and everything. It's not all bad, but there's a way of being, there's an entire belief system of if I am that way, right? And it's also ruled by Venus and Pisces in the 10th house. So if I am that way, all of those mechanisms of being and relating and of personality, then I will what? Be taken care of. I'll have that Venus kind of, um, self-worth, I'll feel safe, fourth house, emotionally cared for. There is so much, not only identity, but survival wrapped up in all of that South node. And I had this problem, you know, I got in a really, uh, challenging financial situation, right? Venus, Libra, even I would say the fourth house, um, I got in a really bad place with money and I wasn't able to make money. And the only ways I came up with 10 ideas, you guys, like it must've been just like full survival mode, full panic in my journal, like writing as many ways as I could to think about how to make money. And every single scenario that I came up with, every single one all involved me doing something for someone else in a one-to-one client relationship where I would understand what they needed and wanted and give it to them. So massage therapy, um, counseling, coaching, English tutoring, making websites for people, every single thing, doing astrology readings, every single thing that I could think of, which is also every single gift that I have cultivated, which is also every single type of work I have had um, oh, personal assistant, executive assistant, ghostwriter, every single one of my ideas was all in that same pattern. I could not think of anything outside of that. Other people are going to have their different things, right? That they think of, um, that are relative to their South node, to their conditioning, to their karma, but that's how deep it is. And then all of these belief systems, all these unconscious belief systems of like, oh, um, people give me money, Venus, when they like me. If people love me, they will take care of me, fourth house. 
all of this unconscious idea about how the world works was wrapped up in there, right? And hopefully you can get a sense of how different that is from the North Node Aries in the 10th, which is like, I know who I am. I can do it on my own. I am my own inner authority, right? Willing to do trial and error, willing to take risks, willing to be, um, you know, hard-headed, all that kind of stuff was like calling forth. And so all those things that I tried to do that were around my South node, it was like fail, 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 fail. It was like that game operation where you're trying to pull the little pieces out of someone's body and you're hitting against the sides. It was like, eh, 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 eh. and what was weird to me, and this is a really important point. What was weird to me is that in my whole life, I had always identified as being more Aries in the 10th house. In my, right, like our karmic identity encompasses both. We wouldn't even be able to dream of our North Node if it wasn't somewhere in our map. So my whole sense of self, actually, before I started plunging the depths of my unconscious, was that I was 100% Aries in the 10th. I thought I was outrageous and I was always trying new things and um, was a big rebel and totally didn't buy into anyone else's authority. Big political activist, danced to the beat of my own drum, did a bunch of alternative uh, schooling and study and all this kind of stuff. So I was identified with my North Node and yet those deep unconscious patterns of the South Node were activated. And so what I've found is you can see in people, they either really identify with their North node and they're like, oh my God, I wish I could just be my North node. Why is my South node holding me back? Right. Or they're like, I am my North node. What are you talking about this South node nonsense or the opposite? They're like, I love my South node. Why would I ever want to go to my North node? My South node is where all the yumminess is. I don't feel like doing this other stuff or it doesn't even make sense to me why I would do that. And yet those are the people who often get in the school of hard knocks and get really purified um, by life. So you're, you know, obviously either being purified in more North node or South node kind of ways. Um, But at that deeper level, it doesn't matter what you identify with because the process is happening. It's happening between these two points and the conscious mind is going to ping between the two. It's going to, one's going to be more conscious and one's going to be more unconscious at any given time. But these two nodes are in conversation with each other. They're collaborating with each other constantly. And they are these core aspects of what is working you. And because it's the moon, I feel like it's one of the places where we can look that shows us like so immediately how we're being worked in this life like right there, it is where you feel safe, where you feel valuable, where you feel, um, like confident and where you're growing. It's like, it's, I, uh, I'm not totally describing it, but it's like, because it's your personal, most personal planet, the moon, it's closest to the earth. It is like that thing that is between you and source, right? Like the sun is the source of our solar system. And then it's like hitting this moon, which is like gravitationally pulling this thing that is like deeply affecting the liquid, the fluid of our body. It's like 
the foundation of what is playing in us and through us. And it is the cauldron of the soul happening in a moment to moment basis. And so it's like, whenever anything happens to me, the first thing I look at is the nodes of the moon. What have I been playing out? What would my North node do? What has my South node been doing that has been unconscious to me? And they have this model in process work, process oriented psychology, that is the best model that I've found um, in terms of just shorthand, quick, being able to understand a lot of human psychology, but also a lot of the nodes, right? So there's this part of your identity that's primary. It's what you can easily point to as your me. You're like, this is me. I feel good and safe here. So you can even just do a little journal exercise and just write down, what is your me? I'm a nice person, a generous person, a smart person, a no-nonsense person, whatever it is. And then there's the what they call your secondary identity. And it's not something that's completely outside the realm of who you are. It is your identity. It shows up all the time. It shows up in your relationships and in your dreams and in your body symptoms and in synchronicities. And it's called your secondary identity. It's your not me. And you can write down, what am I not? Even anything that you could think of that you're not is probably in there somewhere. And you can even just do the opposite, right? I'm a mean person, a selfish person. Uh, what's the opposite of no nonsense? Like a flaky, flimsy, pixie person. I don't know. No shade to pixies. I think there are a lot of pixies that are also very no nonsense, but um, a floofy person, right? All this kind of stuff. It's in you too. And it comes out in your double signals. There are so many times where the person's primary identity is completely saying one thing, going in one direction, but that secondary identity, because it's in them, because it's in the wholeness of their being, the hologram of their being, it comes out and both of them come out at the same time and it creates a double signals. And we as human beings are so hyper attuned and aware of what is a double signal, right? Like it's even just being like, no, I'm not mad at you or what I'm fine. Or like, I don't. I know, you know, um, but there are other things where normally what bugs us about other people are our double signals and normally what creates disturbances in our relationship are double signals. Like for example, um, someone says, uh, you feel like someone is really liking you a whole lot and kind of smothering you. But every time you try and talk about it, them, they're like, no, no, it's just casual, but you keep feeling from them that they want more. That's you're in the, um, the, interference pattern of the double signal. It sucks, right? Or um, uh, someone's, you know, like there's so many double signals like that. Like someone says, um, they're like, oh my God, I'm going to get this to you by the end of the day. Or they're like, I really want to be a part of this thing, but then they keep not showing up, right? That's a double signal. And what's really important to remember about double signals is that things are secondary because they're in shadow because the person doesn't feel comfortable or confident or even aware enough to be able to bring it out. And so a lot of what heals double signals is not getting mad and shaming it more, but getting really curious and interested about the part that's secondary, the part that's less known, the part that's more not them, right? 
and creating an environment where it's safe to bring it out. Like imagining like, what if you lived in a world that cherished that other thing, right? Like someone's not showing up um, for a project you're working on, then maybe it's like, wow, like, it's okay if you're busy. It's okay if you don't want to do this. I'm curious, what is going on for you? And they're like, no, no, I want to, I want to. And it's like, well, part of you wants to, and part of you doesn't. And let's just really hear out the part of you that doesn't. But what makes it hard to find what's secondary is that normally what's guarding between primary and secondary is this like really intense edge. It's an edge. And what lives, it's like edge mountain, And what lives at that edge is belief systems, inner critics, intense feelings. The entire person's sense of safety and identity is between me and not me. So for example, I had a friend who wanted to come stay with me at my place and write all of my South Node Cancer or Libra in the fourth, right? It's like, oh my God, yes, of course, please come. And I want to host you and I want you to have a great time and I want you to think well of me and have good associations with me. And yes, yes, come, come, come. And it was really just a bad time for me. And uh, I had to tell them no. And it was so hard for me. I must have spent an hour even knowing all this information, I must've spent an hour having a panic attack and recording the voice memo and listening back to it and re-recording it. And this person had even said like, it's okay if it doesn't work, like no pressure at all. But I had to cross my edge. I had to enter into territory that was so different from my identity, so different than the type of relationship pattern that I'd set up with this person. So unsafe and scary feeling just to be a little bit Aries, a little bit in the 10th house and be like, Hey, you know, it's a really bad time for me. Love you. It's a really bad time. Maybe a different time. That was my edge mountain to cross. So that's what I've learned about this is that deep part of you that wants to do something different often comes either in these like little whispers of like, Hmm, that didn't quite feel good. Or "Hmm, something didn't totally go along with that choice. Right. When I was saying, yes, I had this little feeling in my stomach or I'm doing something, but I feel a little frustrated. Sometimes it takes that deep, quiet, listening ear. What is that little part that isn't on board? And then sometimes it'll come to you like a Mack truck and just smack you down and you're trying to do it, but you physically can't, or you can't get out of bed to make it happen. Or you are like crying on the inside while you're doing it. And the voice will be so loud, or it'll be just like, it genuinely does not work. Right. Like me with that job, like trying to get clients, trying to do those different businesses just did not work flat out at all. And It's just about really, really tuning in and finding those places and opening up that curiosity, looking to the North Node for guidance. What might be on the map, right? What's the ruler of the North Node? What would they do to find a new way of being, to like slightly shift the needle from being so deeply entrenched in the groove of that record playing the same goddamn song over and over and over again? And the last little piece of this is something called skip steps. So whatever is squaring the nodes to the moon is what in evolutionary astrology, they call a skip step. And this is a sign about where maybe you've tried to 
um, skip a step, right? Like you've tried to move too quickly or you've tried a particular strategy of trying to get your desires met or trying to um, rework your karma. That's actually created more karma, right? That's actually created this area that's been unattended to that is now forcing the issue, right? A square is a conflict that is forcing itself to be addressed. And so whatever those skip steps are, if you have anything squaring the nodes of the moon, uh, you can also put your finger on it and move your hand clockwise. And wherever it node it hits first, the idea is that that skip step is resolved to that node. So I have skip steps in the seventh house. If I put my hand on it clockwise, the first node I hit is my south node in the fourth house, which means that those things need to be looked at in my south, from the perspective of my south node, they need to be integrated into the awareness of the south node. And for me, um, it's my moon conjunct Neptune and Capricorn in the seventh, right? So there's ways in which maybe this element of my south node really being unconscious to me or understanding where I'm emotionally self-sacrificing or emotionally out of tune with my own experience being obscured, Neptune hidden from me. That is specifically part of the unconsciousness that I need to bring to the surface in order to get out of those unconscious south node ways of being, right? But I do feel like south node is unconscious for everyone. So to me, I think sometimes you can look and be like, holy shit, these skip steps and get feel really daunted by it. But I also feel like it's a blessing because it means that it's forcing itself to be seen in your life. And in general, I think with this nodal axis, we are on this wheel of um, samsara. And it, if you are even listening to this podcast at all, even considering the fact that there could be some insight to be gained from astrology, I feel like that is a blessing and it's already a step out of being asleep, a step towards being like, I want to understand these unconscious processes that are happening. And as painful as it is, and as much as like the mere knowledge of these things does not completely reorganize my unconscious emotional body, it is such a profound gift. So thank you all for listening um, I hope this was illuminating in any way and I am sending you all a million blessings in your journey out there because it's real out here, folks. It's real and lots and lots and lots of love wherever you're at and I'll catch you next week. <laughs>